Hey there, welcome to the Sustainable Jungle Podcast, where we're speaking with impressive people all over the world who are working towards sustainability and or conservation outcomes. This week, we speak with Nick Mott, the assistant producer of the beautifully produced Threshold Podcast, which uses stories to explain how humans are changing and being changed by the planet. We learn more about Threshold Season 1, the upcoming Season 2, and more about Nick himself. Please enjoy this episode with Nick Mott. So thank you so much for having us here in your in your town, Boulder, Colorado. I understand you're not from here originally, which we're going to get into. But thank you so much for having us here in Boulder, Colorado on this trail. We're very excited to be in the sunshine. It's the dream, except for the wind, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, thanks for meeting me here. It is, yeah, I'm a little sad about the wind, but it's great to at least be at this trail. Definitely yes. after this interview, I encourage you guys to go up and hike. It's beautiful. Yeah, instead of just looking at the trail, we're going to go hike the trail for sure. And so, Nick, you are involved. You're the assistant producer of the Threshold podcast, which is a really cool podcast that we're going to talk a lot more about. But before we do that, we've had a look at your LinkedIn profile and it seems like you've been involved in all sorts of interesting and random and cool things. Can you give us a little bit of a background? Where are you from? Where did you grow up? What brought you here? Wow, you guys have done your research. Yeah, yeah, so yeah we stalked you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had a very circuitous path to get to where I am now, but I'm originally from Kansas, uh, which is in the middle of the country. And so I, I got out of Kansas after college um, and moved west to go and do conservation work. So I was building trails, cutting down trees, uh, doing all kinds of things, everything from invasive species, remo- species removal to uh, picking up trash in the desert for eight days at a time. And it was the first time I really got a sense of the American West and of the ways in which we interact with it. I think, and then I came to Colorado to go to graduate school for international development. Uh, I sort of was really interested in the intersection between uh, conservation and international development. And then, so this is a very, like I said, very circuitous path. I've done everything from that, <laughs> done everything to working with migrant and refugee students to um, being now being a journalist. And I went back to grad school for journalism as well, actually. So what is it about, so it looks like you are now, your career is heading down the path of environmental journalism. What is it about those two things that is so exciting to you? So for a long time, I've, I've realized that stories are how we engage with one another, how we connect. And I think in our environmental storytelling, there's just so much room for experimentation and growth and ways to really explore the manner in which we interact with the world around us. And you know, in this long sort of weird path I've taken, it's gone from being very academic and I, I found that very sterile for a while and I just wanted to re-engage with the world of storytelling because I think that's really how difference is made and how impact is made because it's the ba- most basic way we relate to each other as humans and the way in which we've done so for as long as, you know, we've existed as a species. Yeah, for sure. And you've, you've been interested in podcasting or you've got involved in podcasting. How did you get interested in in, in that form of, in that medium of journalism and in the Threshold podcast specifically? So podcasting generally has been a part of my life for many years. You know, I remember just kind of really diving into it. I think in college, I think, you know, it, just like with everybody here, it starts with This American Life or something like that. And I remember even applying to be an intern at This American Life in oh, college gosh. and getting turned down and sad about it. And, you know, but at that time, I always thought that sort of storytelling and writing or podcasting would kind of fall into place. And uh, after a while, it didn't. But here at Threshold, the way Threshold started is, is really interesting. I was I actually started graduate school in journalism with a focus on environmental reporting at CU Boulder um, because they're they're known for their Center for Environmental Journalism. And Amy Amy Martin, our executive producer and founder, was a fellow that year at the a Scripps Fellow at the Center for Environmental Journalism. And my very first day of class, 
she came to this uh, media technology class where we learned all about um, video and photo, but also audio. And she basically pitched the show. She's like, hey, this is Threshold. This is what we're all about. And we're looking for interns. And so I, me, and one other person, Zoe, came up to her after class, started talking to her about what it might look like. We applied, and me and Zoe both started um, as interns right then. Um, later on, some more interns joined board. And basically, over time, my role expanded as I, as I was involved in everything from creating the website and the show to editing and brainstorming and interviewing and just, just everything. So I was later promoted to production fellow and then assistant producer, which is how I got to where I am and now. Nice. <laughs> On the website, it talks about how your spirit animal is the ring-tailed cat, right? Why? So that goes back to my time out in the <laughs> desert. When I was doing conservation work um, in the desert west, it was this, this, this critter, this little creature that I'd never heard of before, but suddenly I was kind of exposed to in weird ways all the time. It was mostly... As I was rock climbing, it would kind of emerge from this like cliff and uh, outside, sort of like an hour outside of Las Vegas in the desert. And usually it would just be this little thing that would like try to get into my climbing pack and eat Cliff Bar wrappers or something. <laughs> but they're adorable, and they're actually not related to cats. They look kind of like a raccoon meets a squirrel meets a cat, and they have, they have these long bushy tails, and they're they're really cute. I remember that first one that I kept seeing. I named Jeremy. Oh, Jeremy. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I have a real soft spot in my heart for ringtail cats just because of the, the time in my life, I think, that those encounters bring up. Right. So it's like the memory of that special time. Yeah. Cool. And the other thing that I read on the Threshold podcast about you was that your happy place is to be perched up on a rock somewhere, anywhere, which is why you obviously suggested we do this podcast out on the trail somewhere. Can you tell us why? why is that the case for you? Why is that special for you? Sure. So my first real engagement with the environment and the natural world came the way I really started to relate to it in new ways was through rock climbing uh, and I started that in Kansas which if you don't know is a super flat state with no rocks of any kind so I, <laughs> I started rock climbing and I'd go down to Arkansas to climb earlier in my life you know my exposure to the outdoors had been also something that seemed really forced on me I you know I was a cub scout and I quit I hated it just because my, my my father made me <laughs> made me do it um, but it was really through climbing that I started to explore and started to see a world that was larger than just Kansas and larger than the prairies that I'd grown up on and encouraged me to seek new adventure and seek new places and to also reflect on the place that I'd grown up in, in new ways and so to be perched on a rock is just, it's, you know, climbing is always a way that I relieve stress now. And living here in Boulder is really easy just to run outside of town and, you know, go climbing or go up a trail to the top of a, of a mountain. Yeah, cool. Awesome. So I want to quickly zoom back to uh, Threshold podcast. And I think we mentioned to you, Joy and I, I listened to season one on the way to Yellowstone. It's just unbelievably produced. And I encourage all the listeners out there to, to give it a listen because it's, it's just a superb show. And you've really touched on how your role in, in the podcast came to be. But what was, do you know what Amy's motivation was for starting Threshold or how it came to be? Yeah, so Amy really saw this sort of, she saw a lot of what you might think of as black and white environmental journalism. Issues painted in one way, a kind of a way that you'd expect. You know, they're villains and they're, they're heroes. Things aren't nuanced. But the reality is, if you live in these areas, if you live near Yellowstone, if you live in Montana, if you live uh, for, for, for this issue confronting season one, is a lot more complex. And there's a lot of drama in the natural world. You know, there's, there's drama in just this trail we're in front of today. And Amy wanted to, 
start telling environmental stories in new and compelling ways that would be more nuanced, that would really have a chance to encourage people to reflect on the things around them in new ways. That's really cool. Uh, and you, you mentioned there's no heroes, there's no villains, and it's all about getting to the truth. And, and I see that those were the actual guiding principles on the website. Someone who's on the ground and has covered many of those stories, how hard is it to remain impartial? I'm sure you must have your own opinions on the matter. It can be quite hard. It depends on the issue. Um, as a journalist, you sort of train yourself in a way to stay objective, to stay out of the thick of some of the activism and some of the things occurring. But, you know, everyone has their own biases in the way they see the world. And to me, there's no such thing as some sort of pillar of objectivity with like a big capital O, you know, just picking out what stories to tell, picking out, even if you were taking a photo, just what little frame you were to focus on is to take a segment out of this full, full picture, you know. But we do our best to tell all sides. We do our best to tell all sides of the story and to engage with the issues in ways that all sides could think we were doing justice to. You know, I think that's the big thing is to make sure that in our coverage, nobody thinks that we're doing a lack of work on any one perspective. Right, okay. And season one, we it, it covers the story about the Yellowstone bison. For, again, for the listeners, Nick, would you mind just giving us a, a 10,000 foot overview of what, what exactly it's about and, and why it's so controversial. Sure. So I'll start, actually, since we haven't talked about this, I'll give a quick pitch of the of the show as well, just so you can get a sense of, because right now we have one season out, but we're working on our second season, which is about the Arctic. But at Threshold, each season we take a deep dive into a single environmental story, and we try to tell human stories of the natural world. So season one's all about bison, specifically bison in Yellowstone and in other areas in the region. Bison are so fascinating so we said that, so there's sort of the central tension in Yellowstone. Bison are this beautiful and symbolic animal. They were named our national mammal here in the States. And yet this oldest herd of genetically pure bison, one of the only free roaming bison left in the United States is, you know, a large percentage of them are culled or slaughtered every single year. And we want to explore why and all of these other complicated issues going into it. Um, so we explore everything from the history of bison and the r relationship between the extermination of bison and the extermination of indigenous peoples in the United States to current political issues related to, ran to ranchers. So bison also can carry brucellosis, which is a disease that can cause spontane spontaneous, abort ah, spontaneous abortion uh, among cattle and livestock. And only two animals can carry that, bison and elk. Bison are a lot easier to rein in than elk, of course. Um, and so through this one creature, we're able to see all of these issues about power, about history, about present and about future um, all over the United States, not even limited to this, this single seemingly isolated story. Sounds like it's not about the bison. It's about a much bigger picture of, of the U.S., would you say? Exactly. Exactly. It's what start, it starts about bison, but it tells a broader story, a story about culture, about history, about politics, about power. I think it's interesting for us as non-U.S. citizens to listen to that and get a feel because we obviously didn't learn about U.S. history at school. We have no idea about a lot of these issues. So it was a really nice way for us to understand and to learn about some of these core issues that are sort of so central to the American history. Mm. And also coming from Africa, where conservation is a huge issue and a lot of species are endangered, you don't think about America as having, having these, these issues. sorts yeah. of issues. And, and you clearly do. And, and bison, I think 
we heard in the podcast at one stage there was only 27 is that right 23 in 1901 there are only yeah about 23 left in yellowstone national park genetically pure that's right. We spent a lot of time verifying that figure. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's intense. That's incredible. And I mean, also just going back to the, the really cool stories that you guys covered, I think it was um, episode four. Do you remember what is Yeah, Robbie Magnan. Robbie Magnan from Fort Peck Tribe. That's right. And he, um, he built this quarantine zone so that uh, the bison, as, a, as a, an alternative to them getting slaughtered, and at the time, I think it was still in the balance and the powers that be hadn't sort of decided as to which direction it was going to go and whether they were going to use it or not. And they were rewriting that. Don't give uh, too much away. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It was like an interagency bison management plan. Do you, is there, do, do you know what the status of that is? So there's still sort of a limbo status there now. So recently, if you listen to one of our extras for a different bison conservation related initiative at the CSKT, the Confederated, Confederated Salish and Kootenai tribes, it, it had been proposed that they would return the national bison range to them, um, but Brian Zinke said no recently, so that's big bison news. Yeah, and he's, he's a Montanan as well, so huge conservation-related issues all through him. Oh. Uh, but at, at Fort Peck, so there are bison there, but there were bison quarantined at Yellowstone uh, that... There's actually this interesting story that sort of developed in the last few months, so... Twice since January, quarantined bison at Yellowstone have been freed. So people have, it appears. So I haven't done the reporting on this particular issue. I've just read other stories about it. So what I'm able to put together with a big qualm here that I haven't done firsthand reporting on it yep. is that it appears that a lot that activists have actually cut, well, maybe I would maybe hesitate to call them activists. We'll say that bison have escaped the confines of the quarantine at Yellowstone twice. Um, and it appears that the gates have been cut. And because of that, it's delaying sending more bison to Fort Peck. And it's putting a big setback in plans to move that forward. Mm. Gosh, Gee, it's it so is. complex, isn't it? Yeah. As Joyce said, we won't want to give away too much of the story. But talking about the stories and being on the ground, Joy and I are really curious to know, because you must have had some really cool experiences, if you could share like one or two of your top moments in the field. Absolutely. So, well, first of all, I only did a very, very small amount of on the ground work for season one. So I'm gonna talk about season two reporting. So season two is all about the Arctic. And for, if you don't know, I didn't before I started this season, there are eight Arctic countries throughout the world. And we are hoping to spend time in all eight. I've been to the Canadian Arctic and the Alaskan Arctic for, for this series. And I think my favorite story of, of being on the ground and reporting, you know, in the Arctic, especially, you know, I was in Iqaluit in Nunavut in Canada in January, which is like the worst coldest time you could you could possibly be up there you know but so yeah i was in a city called ikaluit and nunavut it's in a territory called nunavut which is a really fascinating territory actually i'll give you some background here (laughs) so nunavut was split off from the northwest territories in 1999 and it was sort of an experiment in indigenous self-governance it it's the largest territory in canada by land but the smallest by population there are only about 36,000 people in the whole territory even though it's the largest in canada um, so Iqaluit is the smallest capital city of any territory in Canada. It's about 8,000 people. And, you know, when I was there in January, it was dark a lot. And it was probably averaged minus 30 Fahrenheit, which is wow, really cold. Ouch. Uh, so, I mean, first first of all, there's just technical issues. you got to you got to figure out how to exist outside and uh, also how you can get your gear to exist and not 
spontaneously break. Like you learn to wrap electronics in, in paper bag or plastic bags as you go in. Otherwise, it'll be a bunch of condensation and it can just break. Um, also, the cold just makes everything die super quick. But the biggest thing I didn't anticipate was that I'd be spending a bunch of time with, with sled dogs. And sled dogs have a really interesting role in the history of the area. Um, so for Inuit people, it was you know a huge means of livelihood. It was how people got around. It was a means of hunting. It also had huge sort of uh, familial ties and uh, a role in myth, and a, a really huge role in um, just the culture of, of Inuit people. But that all changed as uh, the Canadian government sort of forced uh, settlements and communities. And from the 50s to the 70s, the, there was actually a huge dog slaughter. Tens of thousands of dogs were killed. And now there's um, the dog dog running scene looks very different. Um, it's a lot of white people mostly running dogs because you have to have a lot of resources to do it, to feed the dogs, to care for them every day. Yeah. Uh, but one person I met was her name was Laura, and she she was she was Inuk. Um, that's the singular of Inuit, and she took me out to see her dog. She was raising puppies. They were adorable. Sled puppies. <laughs> Little uh. sled puppies, just like their muzzles all stained red with, with seal because they were just like, <laughs> eating, eating frozen seal out there all day. Uh, but the plan was to train them. You harness up the mom, and you start running, and the puppies will just run behind the mom as if they are, they're just learned to run, run as a pack that way. They're not big enough to pull a sled yet, but they start to learn to run together. And... So I got there with Laura and immediately things started just going kind of wrong. The mom was really, really unhappy. She was, she was a first time mom. She didn't quite know how to care for herself. Her, her nipples were frozen and infected and she just did not want to be harnessed. And there was a second mom dog who escaped the kennel uh, or escaped the enclosure the dogs were in. It was kind of just a gated area and ran off towards town. And then half the puppies ran with that mom dog towards town. And oh, no. we couldn't get them back. <laughs> and so we started. Oh, no. Yeah, and so we decided just to run with the only three puppies that remained. And as we did this, like I stopped for a moment and set down my audio gear to take a photo. And there's this other dog named Harpoon that was just kind of running around free. Uh, these dogs are Canadian Inuit dogs, which are, you know, they live outside. They're working dogs. They're very different than the sorts of dogs we often think of um, that we keep in our homes and stuff. They, they're much more wild. You get to know them in a different way. Uh, but I, Harpoon sneaks up behind me and grabs my microphone without me even knowing it and just runs off taking <gasps> taking off like towards the horizon dragging all of my things with him uh, I was just convinced like oh no I've broken all of my gear how can I even keep reporting <laughs> this is oh, the worst no. um, but it, somehow somehow all the gear survived it just kind of smelled like dog slobber and seal <laughs> uh, and it all worked out <laughs> but I learned never to leave uh, audio gear unattended around dogs we'll keep that in mind yeah, yeah that sounds Good. like a really solid podcasting tip it's a great it's one of my top <laughs> podcasting lessons absolutely <laughs> so we've touched on we've touched on season two which is all about the arctic and you're doing you're, you're covering all eight countries in the arctic can you give us a little bit of a an overview of what season two the types of issues that season two is going to cover Sure. So we started out certainly interested in climate change. That's the first thing that most people think of when they think of the Arctic. But we want to cover not just ice sheets and polar bears, but, but people in the Arctic. And so that's our biggest mission in season two is to interact with the communities of humans that actually live up there. About four million people live in the Arctic around the world. And that's just, you know, when we think of the Arctic, when we read about it in the news, it's all polar bears or seals or just ice sheets and not the sort of vibrant human life that's there. And so our stories 
certainly focus on the ways that there's massive change related to a changing climate, you know, melting ice sheets and sea ice and changes in biodiversity. And there's, you know, obviously development threats as well. Um, but also there's massive cultural change uh, related both to colonization. And just the issues in the Arctic are so much more complex than we could have anticipated going in um, and so much more fascinating. You know, we started thinking the, the Arctic is warming twice as fast as the rest of the world. And that was sort of the lens we went in with. And inevitably, when you're on the ground reporting, things change and you learn new stories and find the real ways that people perceive issues is always going to be different than than you get as an outsider looking at it sort of from afar. So I don't want to give away too much. But yeah, so our stories are all about change, both climate and cultural. Okay. We, we, we watched the little preview that Amy did of the um, Alex Anderson family talking about the very complex issue of wind turbines in their environments, which is kind of an ironic situation where you've had, we've got this family suffering from, um, from the effects of climate change because their snow is melting and they're getting ice and then the reindeer can't get through to the ground and eat. But then, you know, on the flip side, they're putting up turbines, which is scaring off the reindeer. So it's a kind of a really strange place. Like these guys are at the forefront of the effects of climate change. It sounds like it's going to be a super interesting series. Right. So when we said earlier, there's no heroes, no villains. We don't paint things as, as black and white. You know, this is a great example of that. You, we think of renewable energy as this thing that's always great for the world. It's combating climate change. But here's a case in which, you know, like you said, these people are they suffer firsthand the effects of climate change. They are, they raise reindeer, they herd reindeer and the reindeer can't, they have to start giving them food that costs a bunch of money because they can't get to the earth because it's frozen in different ways now. But all of this is threatened by wind farms, which we think of often as such a good thing because it's a source of renewable energy, right? Um, yeah, I think that's a really great sort of symbol of the sorts of stories we'll be covering in this season. There you go. A little sneak peek. It just shows you that it's never a case of black and white, as you say. There's no heroes or villains. It's so grey and everybody's got their own perspective and take. And a good example you gave was looking out of the windscreen right now. You could take a little frame of the picture, but that's, that's never the whole story, is it? No, never. Yeah, you look at this trail and you don't get this big fire department, no trespassing sign over here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So season two sounds like it's really exciting. Lyle and I are totally chomping at the bit to listen to it, having really enjoyed season one. When is it coming out? When can people listen to it? We can expect it in fall. Uh, that's the best we can say right now. We're trying to finalize dates a little bit more, but yeah, fall of this year. Um, okay, what does that out. mean for the rest of the world? <laughs> <laughs> it'll mean, so I'm going to give you the honest answer that Amy pro- might not approve of because we were just talking about this yesterday. We're, we're, we're hoping for an early September release. It okay. might be a slightly later than that, but okay, we're cool. really pushing for early September release. Okay, that sounds exciting. Because you've still got a couple of destinations to visit and cover. Which ones are those, Nick? So Amy next week is leaving for Iceland, Finland, and Russia. And those are the last three countries that we have to visit for the season. And how do you actually go about deciding who to interview, where exactly to go? That is a great deal of experimentation and luck and just feeling things around, you know. Going in the field to report, at least in my experience, is this really delicate balance of prep work and like trying to get interviews ahead of time and then just being able and willing and excited to improvise and figure it out as you're there. Because things like, as I mentioned before, things always change and you never quite know the reality until you're there. So in my most recent trip when I was in Iqaluit, for example, I had made a bunch of contacts with um, some groups and some people there, but you know everybody you talk to puts you in touch with more people, 
and all of those people put you in touch with even more people and you just start to get this very different sense of what's happening so to me it is this sort of being open to all that but at the same time having a keen eye for where the real stories are and how to balance those stories and how to tell those stories so it takes a lot of time to reflect while you're there on what you're doing and why you're doing it and you know listening back to all your interviews and just figuring out what you think is the most compelling story to follow Mm, that must be quite difficult. I mean, like we found that as well, just get the, the sheer amount of content that we collect and then having to figure out which pieces we want to include. And it's just, yeah, but you guys do a great job of, of doing that. Um, now, I want to quickly circle back to season one. If people want to get involved in that issue, I, I saw on the website there's a ton of information there and links and cool stuff. People can read more about it there. Um, but also they can, is there anything else that they can do t- to get involved in the topic and Make, make their voices heard? Sure. So you can, you can certainly get involved with the, with all kinds of organizations, but I, I encourage you to just go to thresholdpodcast.org and uh, start. To, we have hopefully compiled a great list of links that you can go through to, to look at all these different things happening and, and get your voice heard through us. And also the other thing is the Threshold Podcast itself is funded with a three-legged stool. I remember Amy using that analogy, which is cool. But most importantly for our listeners, it relies on listener support, right? Yeah, you've really done your research. So thank you. <laughs> this is great to, it's great to see that everybody that you're reading our site. Um, yeah, so our, we need listener support to keep doing what we're doing. You know, as, as you mentioned, it takes a tremendous amount of production time. We spend months and months after we're in the field just just editing, finding out the stories. Like if you had any idea how much tape and how many people we talked to that you just never even hear from, even though they're super fascinating people, uh, just because in a storytelling we have to find the right ways to tell the story and if we can't overwhelm with too much material, you know. Uh, but to contribute, there are multiple ways. You can make a recurring monthly donation at our Patreon. Uh, which would mean that each month you donate, say, $9, and it just keeps going. We love that because we know it's sustainable. We know that's going to keep coming in the future. Or you can make one-time donations through our fiscal sponsor, Fractured Atlas. And you can find links to both of those at thresholdpodcast.org. Okay, we'll put those links in. And let's focus on you, Nick, for a second. Joy and I, and we've alluded to this already, that you've had quite an interesting and varied path. And the, the latest that we noticed that you're involved in is this other podcast called Take It From Me, which seems to be this baton-styled show. Would you mind giving us a little overview of what that's about? It sounds really fascinating. Absolutely. So Take It From Me is REI's first podcast. And REI, if, you, if you're not in the States, is a big sort of outdoor gear retailer here. And the idea for the show is that every episode say person A interviews person B, the next episode person B interviews person C, then C interviews D, and so on. So I'm the host of the show, I do the first interview, I'm also there recording everything, even though you don't hear that usually. Uh, and, I, and I also edited and produced everything and put it all together. So it's, a, it's really a fun show. You know, in the first episode, I go on a trail run with an ultra runner, and then he goes, hang, goes and hangs out with on a farm with a farmer, and the farmer talks with an artist, the artist talks with a mountaineer, mountaineer talks with uh, nutrition, like a bicycling nutrition expert and so on it's just this really as you mentioned a baton or like relay style format that it was a lot of fun to participate in and to put together and i hope we can keep keep working working with it's like a hodgepodge of interviewees and interviewers all interviewing each other and you were on as you said you were on the ground for all of those and how did they how did they pan out it was it was a real mixed bag of how it actually worked so what i semi-expected going into it so the biggest difficulty was that were two things one is that you know none of these are trained journalists or interviewers and so you just don't know what you're going to get 
in when you have say a farmer interviewing an artist you just don't know what's going to happen um, these people have also never met each other they don't know that much about each other and and the second thing is just scheduling so it's not just you know i'm able to meet you here right now um but if we were doing this sort of take it from me style i'd have all three of us would have to be able to meet here right now and then also meet with a whole totally different person altogether somewhere else on some other day it's just another nightmare of scheduling everything and putting it all together uh but it really turned out really beautifully in my opinion you know everybody connected in these really amazing and human ways which i and they connected over issues that i wouldn't have expected going into it uh you know looking at you know, say a photographer and a bike shop owner finding these really amazing connections over their views of creativity it's i just never would have imagined the ways it would go it would go and as a journalist i learned a lot about taking a step back and letting things unfold as the ways that they naturally can because you know i had the power to step in and like ask questions of my own or ask the interviewer to ask more questions and um, and i would occasionally do that but for the most part i just wanted these two people to connect and to be there to sort of document it which was a really great experience it's a great idea and what's the underlying motivation behind it what are you what's the message so i think there are multiple messages so since this isn't for an outdoor company you know part of that message is just to get outside there are innumerable ways to get outside you don't have to be some kind of professional athlete to do it this format of the show everybody becomes a learner and a beginner at each of these activities you know i hate running and i was running right alongside brendan <laughs> in the in the first An episode marathon runner no yeah. less <laughs> yeah um brendan who actually also it turns out hates running as well uh what it's <laughs> a ma masochist then yeah absolutely um so there's this real sense in which i i hope listeners are encouraged to just try new things to try activities they otherwise might not try. And I also think, of, as I mentioned, it's about human connection, about finding these sort of similarities even among totally di different people with different life paths, kind of, you know, in this sense, all united by a love of being outside. It was just really amazing for me to see the ways in which these people connected. When can we listen to it? You can listen to it now. Oh, it's out. It's out. Oh, yeah, I couldn't find it. It's, it must have been oh, my wow. dodgy internet. <laughs> okay, well, we'll put that in the show notes as well. I think that's going to be on our road trip, our next yeah, show on our, our road trip. Yeah, that's what we'll listen to on the next road trip, for sure. And so, okay, You've you finished Take It From Me. You're in the middle of finishing season two, Threshold. What other big stuff have you got going on in 2018? No doubt you have something. So I'm trying, I'm figuring out the future. I mean, that's a good question. I, uh, You're figuring out the future. Uh, just I that think small the biggest, little thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just that small little thing. I mean, I think in personal life, like the biggest thing is just figuring out this next step. So I'm, I'm going to keep working for Threshold. But I'm, I think I'm leaving Boulder and I'm figuring out where. So I'm going to Montana this weekend. And part of this is to present at the International Wildlife Film Fest, but also to see if maybe it'll be a good fit for moving to. So just at a very personal level, I'm figuring out sort of where my life is, is taking me physically <laughs> right now. Wow. So not just figuratively, but yeah, yeah, check out Livingston. Livingston's pretty cool. We were there for a week. And Gardner was really And nice. Gardner's beautiful as well. So what are the criteria? Yeah. Outdoors. Outdoors, yeah. yeah. Beautiful thing to do outdoors. I'm a climber, so things to climb would be great. Yeah. Uh, but really, I'm just looking for... I think it, it's hard to articulate precise criteria. So certainly there's that sort of natural beauty, but a lot of it is the feel of the place itself. You know, It has to be a place that feels right and feels good for, for me to be there. You know, It feels like there's a community of people that is welcoming and open, and there's a place where I feel at home. You know, mm -hmm. And that's, that's a hard thing to be like, this has to have this many... Thai restaurants or something like yeah. there's, there's nothing in particular that, that creates that feeling but it's a feeling that you can actually experience when you're in a place yeah not the number of Thai restaurants per square mile can I can I just uh, break this uh, little intermission here and say that 
Okay, for the listeners, we, as you know, sitting in a car looking at the trail and we're baking. Because we're the like sun sweating is, and we dying. We are sweating. <laughs> this is the hottest podcast we've ever done. We are sweating in Colorado. So I'm just going to open up the window quickly. Let's, Let's pump again. some air. Yeah, yeah, sorry about this. Nick. Okay. We're like just completely you know, killing okay. Nick. Quick, like, quick intermission. This yeah. is the very workout oriented yeah. uh, interview maybe you know <laughs> it's like a sauna in here. Yeah. yeah I've got my jersey on still which is a stupid idea so Nick I wanted to ask you about how you've gone about creating this life of purpose and meaning because it seems to me that this was a very deliberate act from your perspective um, what advice would you have to others who want to go out there and tell stories that are you know of immense importance in the world today how do you go about getting into this world I think for me I, the biggest advice I can give to anybody is just to do what excites you and do what engages you and never sacrifice that. And that's something that's guided every step I've taken in my life is mm-hmm. to try to find, you know, just like when I'm looking for a place to move, what feels right to me. And that has so much to do with not just, you know, how much money you're making, but on how it feels every day to be doing the things you're doing. So it's a balance of risk and all these things. And I think another thing is that it can seem like people have figured it out, have everything figured out, you know, but nobody has anything figured out. Like it's everybody's just figuring it out as they go along. So don't be scared off by, by thinking that you're, you're feeling shaky and, you know, unstable, that everybody is figuring out everything all the time. Like that's okay. <laughs> that's good advice for us too, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And final question, where... If, if people want to find you and get in touch or just follow you and check out Threshold and take it from me and anything else that you're working on, what is the best way to do that? Sure. So you can follow me personally on Instagram at NGMott or look me up on Facebook. That's totally fine too. You can find Threshold at thresholdpodcast.org or on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, take it from me. You can find it at rei.com slash blog slash take it from me, I want to say, or you can just Google it, find it that way. Yeah. Super easy. And you can also find it in the iTunes store or wherever you get your podcasts. So. Cool. And we'll Brilliant. put the links in as well to our show notes. Yeah. Thanks so much, Nick. We really appreciate it. And we really look forward to following your next steps that you take, whether it's in Montana, Kansas, Colorado, who knows, and the work that you bring out, which is really fantastic. So thank you for that. Well, thanks so much for having me and for sitting in this hot car with yes. me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I realized we had the heater on for most of that. <laughs> no, oh, you're we like, kidding. turned the car and it was like on we the heat. So and I you put on the air Oh, no. Definitely hot. Okay, well, there you go. Hot sauna podcast. There you yeah, go. We, first, you know, maybe first it just makes like honesty. You know, you ha- you get uncomfortably <laughs> hot. And you can't. You just have to say things that are that are true. Yeah, you yeah, just, exactly. you just can't. Cut the crap. Let's <laughs> yeah, get to yeah. the point. <laughs> maybe that's a new angle for our podcast. Let's just, just make like, it desperately uncomfortably hot and see how it, see what it comes up. It makes us efficient. We burn through that in 37 minutes and normally takes us an hour. So there you go. Wow. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Nick. (laughs) Thank you, too. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode with Nick Mott. We love that the Threshold team are out there telling these incredibly important stories at the deepest possible level. Please support them by subscribing and listening to their podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love to know about it and we'd be super grateful for a review, a comment, or even an email. You can find us at hello at sustainablejungle.com.